Hello everyone, this is Steffi and welcome back to the Financial Fox. Before I go uh, into uh, the details of what we will be discussing today, I want to thank you everybody for watching, sharing the content and supporting the channel. This is really appreciated. So lots of all loves to all our subscribers and everybody that is tuning in. So today we are going to be discussing obviously crypto, and DeFi and also what are the coolest projects out there and the challenges as well, because it's important to talk about the challenges. My guest is Julian Hosp, is a blockchain expert, is an entrepreneur, author and CEO of Cakey DeFi. Cake DeFi, <laughs> let me get that right. Okay, so I'm gonna introduce you to Julian, so let's connect to him. Hi, Julian, how are you? Stefania, it's such a pleasure. Fantastic to have you on the show. Listen, should I say Dr. Julian, right? Julian is all fine. <laughs> okay, so maybe can we start uh, with you giving a little bit of information about where you're coming from, so some of your background, how did you got involved into the blockchain crypto space, and also um, a little bit about Cake DeFi. Mm. I'm originally from Austria, uh, from Innsbruck, um, a little town in the mountains. Um, a long time ago, I learned about kite surfing and I became a professional kite surfer actually in Lago di Garda in, uh, in, in the north of Italy. Um, and then for 10 years, I was a professional kite surfer. It was a fantastic life. And the reason I'm sharing this is because um, I studied medicine and then I became a medical doctor. And obviously those two things couldn't be as different because as a kite surfer, you always try to push the limits. You always try to be crazy. You, you try to be an artist or as a sport. And as a medical doctor, you try to do the exact opposite. You try to be very scientific and, and, uh, and, and, and very uh, science and fact-driven. And uh, I hated that. I, I, was, uh, I, I, I was missing the freedom and I was missing a bit of the craziness. And so in 2012, this is now nine years ago, I quit working as a medical doctor and I wanted to start a medical company. And I didn't know what, I tried so many various things and I looked for many things. And in 2014, I learned about this new way to store data called the blockchain. And I said, wow, this would be amazing. You could store patient data, um, the, the, the medical history, track records from a patient on the blockchain. And so I wanted to start a startup in 2014 that way. And I just couldn't do it. I was not good enough. I couldn't explain it. I didn't understand it myself. And so in 2015, Total coincidentally, in Singapore, where I live today, um, they had a hackathon for a startup, but for cryptocurrency, so for the financial aspect of a blockchain. So I said, yeah, I was never really that convinced about Bitcoin back then. So back then I was still very skeptical on Bitcoin. But uh, sure, let me, let me fly to Singapore, meet a couple of people here and see what happens. And so I came here and this was in May 2015, so this is now six years ago. And uh, yeah, suddenly I saw this entire ecosystem, I saw how everyone thought about Bitcoin and I got very, very convinced that uh, Bitcoin is, uh, yeah, it's going to be this disruption long term. And so I stayed in Singapore. I actually started a company here with uh, two other founders and uh, yeah, we, it got very, very successful. And uh, four years later, um, actually the founders and I had a bit of a split. So this was end of 2018 and I exited from there. Um, I had made really, really good money from investing in Bitcoin because I was very, very early. And so in 2019, everything was kind of struggling. And then, uh, yeah, I started uh, a new company here called Cake DeFi with a Singaporean uh, co-founder. Um, yeah, and over the last uh, two years, we've 
been building this company in the DeFi space. So I was very, very early understanding how powerful DeFi decentralized finance is going to be. And now we have, uh, yeah, close to 60 employees. We're cash flow positive. Um, yeah, we have, uh, close to a hundred thousand customers all around the world. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, so it's uh, it's been a, a, a great journey here. Um, and uh, at Cake DeFi, what we basically do is we're this platform that allows decentralized finance services for our customers in a very easy manner. So they can do staking, liquidity mining, they can do lending, and they can do all those uh, quite crazy services in a very, very easy manner. Wow, that's that's an amazing journey. So you started much more... Uh, much early than uh, you know they actually the DeFi boom started so when when yeah. did you actually started cake DeFi? yeah we started at the beginning of 2019 so a bit over two years ago so we were really really early with DeFi. back then no one really talked about DeFi. everyone thought ah this is not gonna really work this is uh this doesn't make any sense this is not interesting and uh yeah a year later actually this is when the real DeFi boom then started in the beginning of 2020. So if you if you maybe go back when you started, what which were the kind of uh, the main point that you wanted to tackle with uh, you know with the, the, with this platform? What did you want it to achieve? Where did you see the decentralized finance space to move? Obviously, it was at a very early stage, but what were your thought and your mission there? So all the way until. I, I let's say 2019 to me was a bit of the turning point of that, but I think all the way, including 2018, everything in crypto was about capital gains. So everything was about you put something in and you want more out. But the second aspect of what makes you successful financially, cash flow, crypto didn't have. Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these protocols and blockchains, they don't, they none of them have this this cash flow aspect. And uh, but but decentralized finance actually allows that staking, cash flow, decentralized lending, cash flow, liquidity mining, cash flow. So suddenly everything turned around. You can still have the capital gains, but you can get cash flow on top of that. And so that that was our mission. So actually, the the mission statement at Cake is to provide cash flow from cryptocurrencies. That's our mission statement. Okay. Yeah. But listen, one of uh... Obviously, the friction, the problem here is obviously moving funds from one part to another, which is still quite expensive. You know, maybe it was more expensive then, but it's still expensive uh, now. So how do you think that can actually be um, solved, this problem can be solved in order to uh, open the decentralized finance space so to more people? Because obviously, you know, these represent... Uh, um, a problem for many other users to for many users to entry the space. I mean, you're one hundred percent right. Uh, the, the biggest uh, blockchain where DeFi is happening is Ethereum, and it's it's absolutely ridiculous how expensive uh, DeFi on Ethereum is at the moment. Um, it's only usable for whales, only usable for large uh, owners, and 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 to be honest, that actually gives. Uh, rise to other blockchains. I mean, Binance Smart Chain, uh, Binance Chain, the reason why it's actually gotten so big is because of the fees um, that happen on Ethereum. Um, Polkadot obviously also lives off that. Um, Cardano, there's not much DeFi yet on Cardano, but I mean- Not yet. Yeah, not yet, right? So, um, so, but, but I mean, the reason why Cardano has a chance right now is really because Ethereum is so weak. And so that's, these are the, the opportunities, right? And so, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm involved, for example, a, a, a blockchain I'm involved in really focuses more on Bitcoin. It's called DeFi chain. So for us, it's a, we're trying to bring uh, DeFi to Bitcoin. Um, and so all these protocols, all these projects, right, they all have a chance um, simply because the big, big, big player right now, Ethereum, is really struggling from that fee perspective. And that, and that gives a fair chance. And I think going forward, even if Ethereum is super successful over the next 10 years, I think what the, the weakness right now is going to be in 10 years looking backwards, the reason why Cardano, Polkadot, Binance, DeFi chain, all these blockchain protocols actually had a really, really good chance. And it, it allowed them to gain market space. Yeah, but listen, um, there are many projects that are actually built using Ethereum. So let's, I mean, we can just mention Uniswap that is so expensive, you know, but there are so many others that are built on Ethereum. So how would you see this, uh, um, this space changing as we get different chain to become, um, to offer cheaper option. So are these gonna, are these gonna new, um, this protocol they are built on the top of the, the Ethereum just move to other chain or how the, the space is gonna change? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things, right? Ethereum needs to fundamentally change uh, how it, uh, like, and, and I mean, they know that Ethereum 1.5 or Ethereum 2.0 needs to come. Um, they need to solve this fee problem somehow. Otherwise, uh, they're going to struggle. And let's see if the miners are going to approve that. I just met well, with a really large miner here in Singapore two days ago. Um, he said 60% of the miners right now are totally against the fee structure, a uh, new fee structure, EIP 1559. So let's see there, right? Um, I, I, my personal belief in all of this is that the future is way more specialization. Um, a, a good example here is the NFT space. There are so many um specialized blockchains coming up and 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 maybe even second layer side chains that are specifically made for nfts and i just think the DeFi space kind of missed that a bit because DeFi really kind of grew 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 natively on ethereum and so there wasn't really this much but that's where i think a lot of other special purpose blockchains are going to come in so that is a bit of my belief right uh yeah again cardano is going to have a good chance simply because it's it, it's going to it, it has a chance to to really kind of fill this space. Um, uh, why is Binance Smart Chain winning so much market share right now? It's because so many projects are like, screw that. I don't want to pay these high fees on Ethereum. Let me do it on Binance. And also, um, and, and, yeah. And also, I think, you know, you did mention about Ethereum 2.0, but really Ethereum is, is big, it's massive. It's going to be a challenge to actually move everything to another platform. You know, is that going to be feasible? You know, we, we will have to see, obviously. The future will tell. <laughs> exactly. Listen, one, one of the other points that you just mentioned that got my attention is DeFi and Bitcoin, because, you know, we obviously know the Bitcoin, um, it, it faced some challenges, right? Because it's got smart contract, but the best way to play Bitcoin, to play DeFi with Bitcoin is wrapped Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. So can you can you maybe tell me a little bit more about how do you see, you know, how do you see DeFi, Bitcoin and what could be the parts that should actually um, maybe make this happen on Bitcoin? Would that be possible? I mean, it, I mean, there's various projects that are trying to tackle it from different perspectives. Right. Is it ever going to be perfect? No, for sure not. Right. Um, simply because there is always something has to change. Either Bitcoin is going to change inherently, this is very unlikely, so I just don't think that this is going to happen, but this would be an option. Obviously, you have the pure wrapped version that how Ethereum is doing it right now, 
again, there is always a trade-off. The upside, you have massive liquidity from the Ethereum ecosystem. The downside, you have the wrappers, right? So you have this, this trust barrier. Um, and then you have more protocols that are building more on uh, Bitcoin. You have Rootstock, who goes a bit of the Ethereum route and tries to bring that um, to Bitcoin. You have this, the space chain kind of adding on something. Um, you have DeFi chain who have atomic swaps to Bitcoin. So you can you can bring the uh, the Bitcoins by an atomic swap over and then you can do DeFi on the side chain. So you have all those various th ways. It's not going to be perfect simply because it, it the perfect solution would be DeFi on Bitcoin in the Bitcoin blockchain. As an active, uh, yeah, as an active. Correct. This is, in my opinion, it's not going to happen in the foreseeable future because the engineers or no one is going to agree to that because they're like, why should we take this additional risk, right? Why, why have additional risk there? For us, it's really about digital gold. Um, let's see. I, I think in, in, in five years, let's look back and, and see maybe a lot of these ideas are going to win. Maybe we're going to see new ideas. Um, it, there's different ways how to, uh, to approach it. And let's talk a little bit about layer two protocols, which are becoming quite popular because obviously, you know, they are um, making transactions quicker and obviously overall the user experience is much better. Yeah, I mean, you're talking mainly about uh, lightning on Bitcoin, right? Or are you talking about uh, other layer twos as well? Yeah, layer two protocols, yeah. Yeah. So if we talk about lightning on, on Bitcoin, um, I mean, again, I, I think the fundamental question is what are you trying to solve? Um, I come from a very hardcore perspective that Bitcoin is actually not so much a, a, um, a, a form of payment. For me, it has, it, it has always been in 2015 already, it has always been digital gold. So for me, a, a, a layer two is would be a nice to have on Bitcoin, but it would it's not the it's not the absolute requirement on Ethereum. As far as I know, I think pretty, like Raiden. I don't think Raiden is actually pursued still. Maybe I'm I'm, I'm wrong because uh, all the focus there has been really on the on 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 Ethereum 1.5 or or 2.0. Um, the, the strike on Bitcoin is a very interesting one because it really tries to bring these payments all around the world, and it does this with an with an open network, basically. Um, the idea, of course, is hey, you can make those payments very very fast. At the very moment, the user experience is extremely cumbersome. Let's see how this is gonna turn out. Again, to me, layer two is nice. It's not the main thing that uh, I don't know that I'm betting on or that I'm looking for. Um, that's me. Okay, that's uh, that's interesting. Obviously, there are you know you said about user experience. We said about many challenges. For example, even unify all the liquidity within you know the uh, within the different kind of uh, chains is 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 a challenge because you know is something that has to be fixed at some point. How that is going to be fixed? So you know, it's all things that probably we will have to see what kind of innovation and what kind of project are actually uh, coming up with some solution. I mean, you can do it in two ways, right? Uh, way number one is you you create a new token. Polkadot, for example, is, is, is trying to do this uh, interconnection a lot. Um, you can do it natively. The problem about natively is always that you're that the liquidity part is always a bit of a struggle because you don't have this wrapper that kind of connects all of them. Um, let's see. Um, it definitely needs certain things. Um, yeah, let's see. Okay, so um, let's maybe talk a little bit about NFTs, which uh, uh, you brought up. Uh, mm -hmm. I, 
I think they are something very, very interesting. And, you know, I'm not into the space a lot in the sense that, you know, I'm still watching because it's kind of, a, it's very expensive, you know. And uh, I think that you also have to find a solution at some point for that as well. If uh, the NFTs marketplace is going to actually evolve to become, um, you know, a digital assets network. So how do you see the NFT um, space evolving and also what role they are playing in the digital assets market? So a, a couple a couple of things. I, I made a tweet on that and, and I let, let, let me throw in a couple of things here. Um, I assume everyone knows what an NFT is, so non-fungible token. So it's not that uh, so it's a family of, of it's a family of something, but each item in this family is different. Uh, a classical example is stamps. So stamps, and then you have various stamps. So and then it's the same with an NFT. Um, I posted this on Twitter. Um, NFTs are totally overhyped right now totally underhyped over the long run. And what I mean with this is the following at the at very moment, most people are trying to create faster horses in the NFT space. So they take physical examples, for example, paintings, and they're trying to put them into the digital space. This long term will not work. And I'm going to explain you why it won't work. But all they're trying to do is they're trying to build a faster horse, what they actually need to do, they need to build a car. So they need to have a fundamental difference. And now comes the key part in value. Everything about NFTs is value, right? And, and value, and this is now the fundamental understanding. If we look at the value that Bitcoin brings, Bitcoin brings the value of money. And if we burn it further, uh, break it further down, it's actually the value of freedom. It's the value of independence. It's the value of, of censorship resistance. That's the value in Bitcoin. And people try to bring that same value to NFTs that doesn't work. The real value that an NFT needs to bring is that of status. It's a completely different concept. And at the moment, most people don't understand that yet. The reason why NFTs at the moment are valuable is because they are first. The people with his 5,000 days story, the reason he creates value and he creates massive value is because of the story. It's because of this uniqueness. So, uh, all the all the all the arts that are happening right now the reason why they have value is not because of the digital art that's the key thing as an nft you don't buy the art you buy the story you buy the history you buy everything around it and that's what's that big difference between everything and i think people don't understand that right now people think there's value in digital art there's only value in digital art if there's a story, some uniqueness, something around it connected. And I give you another example. For example, the tweet stuff. So someone, I opened my Twitter and suddenly I received this tweet that someone is offering $100 to my tweet, uh, for my tweet. And so I said, okay, let's try this out. I, I want to know how this works. And I accepted the offer and I sold my tweet for $100. And then someone asked me and said, okay, so this person now owns your tweet, but owns basically the NFT to that tweet. And then he said, now, if you delete your tweet, doesn't the NFT become worthless? And my answer is, it might actually become worth more because there's a story to it. The story is, it was this tweet, and then Julian, this asshole, goes and actually deletes the tweet. And now it was the first tweet that got deleted, and I own that history. I own that perspective. And suddenly the tweet maybe, maybe becomes more valuable. 
because it's the story, it's the uniqueness. And I feel at the moment, people don't understand that yet. They use the same things that they use in the physical world and try to translate that in the digital world. It doesn't work. You need, you cannot build faster car. You cannot look for faster horses. You need to build a car. And that's the fundamental difference to NFTs right now. And that's why I think right now, NFTs totally overhyped, long-term massive disruption because people will understand how to create stories, how to create emotional connections. And now comes the most important part, how to allow millennials and Gen Zs and all the digital people to show off status. That's all, that, that's what it is about. I think this is a great, great point and it does make sense what i'm actually thinking is now that the story is going to be captured Correct. how in the F nft because at the moment is exactly like you said you are trying to replicate the, something that is out there in making a digital ownership but really it, it just raised so many questions that people if you think thoroughly through you actually understand that if something is missing uh, so how do you do you can actually condensate the story the emotion into an nft how that would happen i don't know i mean i'm not an artist i'm not uh i'm, I'm very left-brained right so i'm i'm very uh, at the end i'm a medical doctor um i understand i analyze things i understand things and i think i'm very very good at distilling them down to the to the fundamental thing but at the end that's what people need to come up with right that's why i'm saying um I think very few people, the biggest argument that people give me, and that just shows how people don't understand NFTs. People think the value of an NFT is looking at the picture. It's looking at, uh, it, it, it's the right to, to look at the tweet or, or these people haven't understood it. The, the uh, NFT, uh, the, the, the value of a, of a Rothko picture that's worth $50 million and all it is, it's a red picture. It's not the, the, it's not how difficult it is to make, or it's not to look at that picture. It's the story. It's the emotional connection. And that is the real value. And that value is undeniable. And the question is, how do we do the same thing in the digital space? I don't have an answer for you. I, I don't, but I'm telling you, this is what's needed. I sympathize with you a lot on that because when you're just talking about the history, it comes back to me about fashion, for example. You have got some amazing handbags. They have been worn by a celebrity. They have been exactly as a special edition for the Venice Film Festival. Exactly. And what you really care is the story of those sunglasses, yes. of those. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, it is, uh, is this going to be a challenge? Interesting, because maybe people are kind of stuck when they are thinking about soundtracks, about music, where, you know, maybe they're, they're all just trying to, they're looking for faster horses. They're not innovating right now. At the moment, the NFTs, at this very moment, there is no innovation. What people are doing is they're just taking the physical and making it like and moving it a little bit to the digital. There's no real innovation. So, so how outside there, NFT marketplace or pro project that you think are going to make this step forward and they probably going to be the one that, you know, in five years time, we are going to see them again. Or do you think you find it hard to, know, to you know, mention or nominate anybody? I mean, I wouldn't, so I haven't, I, I have not invested in individual NFT projects where I invested into the, into the collectible. So I've not invested into the collectible, but I have made investments 
in the actual trading platforms, in the actual galleries, in the actual facilities, because in my opinion, that's, that's where it's not going to have the biggest upside. The biggest upside is going to be in the individual NFT, but that's so risky. It's so difficult to judge what's going to be valuable and what's not valuable, but the platforms, the trading, the, 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 the like, like open sea, um, super rare, uh, rareable, all these ideas, mintable, all these things, right? They are at the end where there's inevitable some value right now, because platforms like these are going to be needed. Um, the question is, where's going to be the, like the, the real NFT value, where's this going to come from? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's a great, uh, um, you know, great point of discussion. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about, uh, this uh, evolution of, um, crypto and DeFi, because obviously crypto is a movement that started from the people and then the institution and the big guys, they actually notice it and now they are kind of entering the space. Um, what, how do you see DeFi moving um, in, within the financial institution? I mean, at the moment, what they are doing, they are basically buying Bitcoin as a store of value, right? This is understood. Even our friend Ray, Ray Dalio, that was so skeptic about uh, Bitcoin, now is actually admitting that it could be a store of value, so it kind of makes sense. What about the DeFi space? And how do you see institution expanding there or playing around with the DeFi? Yeah, I think the, the key thing is going to be making these large assets at collateral and, and using them as collateral. And as soon as they as Bitcoin and as soon as Ethereum is going to be treated as real collateral, the entire and it's not only seen as collateral by you and me, by the by, by regular investors, but as soon as it's seen as collateral by the large institutions, that's going to completely change everything because then suddenly real lending is going to happen in this space. Real decentralized tokenization is going to happen. Decentralized exchanging is going to happen. I think that's where, yeah, a lot of disruption that is going to come because as soon as this value is established, a lot of the other values that we're using as collateral right now, be it fiat currencies, be it traditional like bonds and stocks, there's going to be massive pressure on them because suddenly I can put up different collateral. Um, and so at the moment, if you go to most banks and you give them a Bitcoin, you're not going to get anything in return. They're not going to treat this as collateral. But as soon as something like this is going to be seen it as collateral. a bank account. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So how, how far do you think we are from that point? And what do you think has to change within the institutional world to get to that point? So I, when I got, I, I, I got relatively famous in a crypto space because I was quite spot on on the various cycles, not so much from a price level, but more from what's happening in the cycles. And I, I said in the very first cycle that we had until 2013, it was the early geeks, the early adopters. And that was the time when I first heard about Bitcoin. And uh, it was not for me because I was not an early geek. I was not, a, I, I, I'm not an engineer. So that's why I didn't understand it. The second cycle all the way until 2017 was for the early adopters. So those that are early, that, that like moved early. And, and that's where a lot of people got picked up. Also myself. Now we're in the cycle of the later adopters, not late, but later adopters and the institutions. And I think this cycle is probably going to go until next year. And then the new cycle starts and the new cycle is going to be governments. It's pretty much going to be everyone. And that's, in my opinion, when we see this, this, uh, 
Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and many, many other assets being seen as actual collateral. And so if you ask me, when is this going to be possible? Not in specialized banks that specialize for crypto, but pretty much everywhere, 2022 and uh, later. That's kind of the, the timeline. Okay, let's put ourselves in 2025, let's say. Mm -hmm. What is going to happen with the, you know, are fiat, um, are fiat currency going to still be here? What their value will be? How, you know, the, the, the space is going to change? What I'm trying to understand, would that you have a wallet with different kind of uh, currencies and coins that you can spend the way you like? How do you see things in 2025? Yeah, that's not, I think that's too short of a time frame. still. Um, I think four years is not going to be too, uh, it's too difficult to disrupt significantly because uh, just these cycles take too long. Um, but I, so I think in 2025, we might see stable coins um, being used quite prevalently. So I'm not saying we, we see stable coins. We're definitely going to see stable coins, like government stable coins. But um, the question is, how far are they going to get used? Will my mom use a, a, a euro stable coin? maybe in 2025, right? So I think we are at something like that. As soon as that happens, the interesting question is going to be, are governments putting pressure on banks to remove banks with stable coins? Or are stable coins actually going to be helping the banks? And I think the vote is still out there. I almost see that stable coins actually putting pressure on banks and actually going to remove banks because the government's going to have quite interesting taking away the arbitrage people, in this case, the banks, and the government's going to have a direct relationship to the people. So, yeah, so I think that's possible by 2025. So massive pressure there. I think um, fiat currencies are still going to be there. I don't see them going away even in 10 years. Um, there's, it's just too difficult um, to, to get rid of them. And governments are just not going to voluntarily step away. I think in 2025, we're going to see governments having, um, maybe not everyone, but we're going to see governments having Bitcoin on their balance sheet, just like they have gold reserves. They're going to have Bitcoin reserves. Um, yeah, and I think Bitcoin is going to be insanely prevalent. I yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things that uh, you just raised a big question when we are talking about fiat currency is actually how fragmented these reserves can be. You know, what is the minimal you know value of a fragmented reserves in order to don't crash all the system? What's your answer to that? Uh, in 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 what meaning? Uh, like uh, in, in which regard? Yeah, I mean, with the uh, with inflation and and you know people uh, governments still pumping money into the system, you know the the value of the currency is just gonna, it's just could be destroyed over time. And what I'm trying to trying to understand is what actually is the value of the minimal fragmented reserves in order for uh, the system to don't collapse. I mean, the game plan. The game plan, in my opinion, is going to be quite easy for the governments right now. So what they're going to do is they're going to print the living shit out of their fiat currency because they have to. Um, they, they, in my opinion, they had to a year ago when COVID happened. Then they should have stopped. They got stuck on the needle and they couldn't get rid of the needle. And so now they started printing. So now everyone is addicted to the drug that they have been giving everyone and they need to keep printing. At some point, there's going to be such a difference between the wealthy and, uh, and and those that, that don't have assets. And so now the question is, and that maybe answers that question, how does the government restore balance? And the and way the government... Crypto. It, uh, so what, they, no, what they're going to do is they're going to tax. They have to tax wealth. 
They're going to tax wealth. They're going to tax crypto. They're going to tax unrealized gains. And that's how they move as much as possible again back. And that that's going to be the game plan. The, I, I... the, the dream or the, the, the rosy idea, right, that the government will lose. Sorry, it hasn't happened in what 500 years in Europe, and it hasn't happened in 300 years or 400, 400 years in the or 200 years since the Constitution or whatever in the US. It's just not going to happen, right? So the government's going to do the last thing that what's going to happen last is the government losing. That's the last, like any everything will happen first, right? The government losing is last. So Yes, they will, they will put Bitcoin on their balance sheet, but so what? They're still going to tax everyone with unrealized gains, with wealth gains. They're going to do a transaction fee and so on. So at the end, that's how they're going to get their money back. And, and they, anyone who lives in this dreamy world in believing that the government is going to lose and, and anarchists are going to win, I just don't buy into that dream. <laughs> it, it's a nice dream, but it's not what I believe. Exactly, exactly. And I think, as you said, maybe at some point there's going to be so much a difference between some people, you know, between the population, the wealthy and the poor, where in order to kind of move things forward, maybe this is where the government is going to look at crypto in a different way or, you know. Just just use a very normal example. So a year ago, right, and it's quite uh, quite interesting. So tomorrow we're recording this on March 11th. So here in Singapore, it was March 13th when we had this insane Bitcoin drop. Friday the 13th, right? So that's what it was last year. And that's when Bitcoin dropped by 60%. Um, I think I picked up Bitcoin at $4,000, right? So I picked up Bitcoins at $4,000 that day, right? So just imagine this. So that day, right, 4,000 US dollars gross, right? So it's a higher monthly income gross. So we're not talking net, we're talking before taxes, right? $4,000. So that is, it's not possible for everyone to buy a Bitcoin at $4,000, but it, it was possible for some investors, let's say it this way. So imagine there's someone who bought a Bitcoin at $4,000 a year ago. And then there's another person who, when this person doesn't work, let's say this person doesn't work. And then there's someone else who worked the entire year for that same salary, $4,000, $4,000, $4,000. Now, a year later, that person who invested into an asset that scares has close to $60,000. And the other person, if he managed to save everything, has $48,000. So this disparity is already starting. People just don't see it. They don't see it because they look at their bank account, they look at their, their check and they see oh, every month I'm still getting my money. Oh, I'm so lucky that I'm still being paid. And then they don't see that there's people left and right who are just completely in a different lane. I made more money in 2020 than I made in my entire life before. In nine months, I made more money than in 34 years. And the reason is not because my investment decisions were so amazing. It's just because of all the money printing. It's because this this split is happening and people just don't see that. Also, let's stop here and maybe think about, you know, investment, right? You you obviously raised the point about Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, but there are there is obviously gold as well. And there are different ways to invest money um, as a store of value. How, you know, if we think a little bit beyond the cryptocurrency, where do you see the value uh, in kind of it? as investment in, in assets that people can invest in in order to avoid this inflation and, you know, this, uh, this 
you know, destroying of uh, um, done by the fiat currencies. Yeah, I mean, anything that historically has uh, been doing well when inflation ha has happened, right? So I do invest in gold, I do invest in commodities, I do invest in stocks. In stocks, you just have to be a bit careful. There are certain stocks that really kind of get hurt with inflation, for example, especially stocks that are that that have a lot of um, uh, inventory, uh, because that inventory really gonna is gonna is eat, eat, getting eaten up. Um, so a lot of tech stocks they can really benefit from that, for example. Um, yeah, and then Bitcoin, and 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 again, that's these are the bets. Now, I I want to make it clear. I also I also own assets that are doing really w bad in inflation times, right? And the reason I own those assets is because. I'm, I believe inflation is going to happen, but no one knows. And we might see a completely different scenario. We might see the government, again, completely pulling the plug and completely reversing a lot because they have to. And suddenly we're going to see a massive deflationary shock. And, and, and anything that, that, uh, that, that, that works well there, I own as well. Um, so I'm diversified. Um, I, I believe inflation is going to happen and I have a strong bias for inflation, but I wouldn't bet all my money on inflationary assets. Exactly. This is, a, this is a great advice for any investor to keep a diversified portfolio. Now, you are based in Singapore. I'm quite interested to understand how the, all the crypto space is evolving there and how it's different maybe from countries such as the US and Europe. Um, I guess the big difference here is that uh, the government is very open for crypto. Um, there's a, it's a very vibrant scene here. A lot of projects are here now during COVID. There is so many people here. Uh, CC from Binance is here. Uh, Vitalik is actually here from Ethereum, right? So a lot of people are kind of staying here at the moment and 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 just spending the the times here. Um, everything is super close by. Um, that's also obviously quite interesting because yeah, it's the city where everyone is kind of next to each other. Um, yeah, and it's very easy to get talent in comparison to everywhere else because if you hire someone people like coming to Singapore has a great land uh, standard of living um it's super safe um yeah it it, it kind of did COVID really well there, there's no COVID here um it, it yeah it, they kind of got rid of it six months ago um yeah so it's it's it yeah it, it's been going really well Seems the place to be. Listen, uh, the last uh, uh, question that I want to ask you, because obviously you are a doctor, so that's quite interesting. I think what you mentioned about, you know, the power of data and how data can change the healthcare system um, is very interesting. With everything that happened with COVID, people, uh, obviously, they can't wake up to all the concepts of we need to be more healthy, we need to look after ourselves. And I think even here, the healthcare system, it got to a point where it's gonna change, there's gonna be an evolution, maybe also driven by technology as well. Because you know, if you think about in, in the current healthcare system, it's all very, um, how can I say, you, you try to solve a problem, right? That a patient has got, right? Because you only access a certain information. But there is also the prevention aspect now that is, is going to get more and more important. So people are not just coming to a doctor because they have got a pain, so something to fix, but they also uh, try actually to make their lifestyle much better. So then the doctor, it becomes a part more than an holistic approach to health that is trying to empower individuals to be more responsible as well of their own data. So what I'm, you know, there are lots, many, many parts moving here. Uh, all I wanted basically to pick up your brain on him is where you see the healthcare sector 
to change what do you think the COVID mean for the sector and, and what will be the new technology they are going to, very, to disrupt the system very soon? Yeah, I don't know if COVID is going to disrupt in the healthcare sector something other than, in my opinion, the what we see now, um, Singapore especially, I think Germany is also looking into it, is to actually record uh, patient data on a blockchain. Um, Singapore is doing this now. So if you're vaccinated, you get a stamp and it's recorded on the blockchain. Um, so I think that's definitely something that's going to happen. Other than that, I don't know if much in the healthcare system is going to get innovated because of COVID. I think it's I don't know. I think it was for the healthcare system. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else that would. Uh, I, I think the main innovation right now in healthcare is is really is very high tech. It's CRISPR. Um, it's the entire gene editing thing. It's a lot of longevity stem cell therapies. Um, I mean, these are it's extremely innovative, right? I don't know if COVID has any impact on that, to be honest. I think the main thing here that COVID hopefully, hopefully has, right, is this idea that I wanted to do in 2014. And hopefully someone is really implementing it now on a global scale. And that is to record patient data on a blockchain, because it allows people to control their own data. And it, uh, yeah, and uh, it, it opens it up. So that would be great. Yeah, that would be that would be fantastic. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about longevity, that is really uh, a big topic. Everybody is trying to find any kind of ways to live longer. And there are vitality and longevity, right? These are the two exactly. things. It doesn't help you if you live long, if you're sick, and uh, it doesn't help you to be uh, to be super vital if you live super short. So the two things you need is vitality and uh, and longevity. Okay, so what are your tips to live longer? If you have any special treatment that you like, like, I don't know, like the cryotherapy or any just simple, you know, advice for people to just put in practice? Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I think everyone has to kind of figure out their own things. There are certain things that definitely help. Um, aside of uh, not smoking, reduce your alcohol intake, uh, remove your sugar, um, have a uh, yeah, do your uh, three times a, a week sports. Um, I think people really underestimate the importance of fasting. Um, having prolonged fasts for uh, every once in a while. Um, again, you need to check with your uh, physician to really make sure you're you're good for that. But the studies and the data on, for example, three day fasts is absolutely insane. It's absolutely positive what the effects are on blood sugar levels, on uh, on, on, on insulin tolerance, on um, anti-cancer. It's absolutely insane how positive prolonged fasting is. So these are the things I do myself and it doesn't cost anything. It actually is going to save you money because you're not eating. But um, yeah, um, check with your healthcare physician before you do this. So I would, I think fasting and, and here I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a religious person. I'm an atheist, but in every religion, every single religion, there is an aspect of fasting in every religion. And there's a reason why it's because humans all around the world over time have learned the benefits of fasting. Um, it doesn't matter which religion you look at. It doesn't matter if it's intermittent fasting, some fast, for example, during the day, some fast 40 days, whatever, right? There's always an, an, a fasting aspect. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a point. I think I have to try fasting myself. It's just so hard. You know, you, maybe it's the mindset that you have, you know, to, to, to not have anything in the fridge. And just Don't say. do it together with a person that you love because uh, you're going to get into fights. 
uh, nonstop. So do it with a friend or something where you like, it doesn't matter if you piss each other off because otherwise you're going to be a, you're going to have a, a broken up relationship afterwards. <laughs> Ethan, what is the hardest? Is the big, is the, like the first day and then it's going to get better. Second and, and third day. That's the hardest. So the first day is okay. And uh, the second and the third is really, really a nightmare. So three day fasts actually the, like really are the hardest. So it, on the fourth day, it gets easier. So the longest one I've done is 10 days. And then oh. from the fourth one, from the fourth to the seventh or eighth, it's super, super easy. The problem then on nine and 10, it, you're just getting so weak. You have almost no energy. That's the major issue in the long ones. But then it, the hunger feeling is gone. So the hunger feeling goes away after day, after day three. You have no hunger. Awesome. Okay. On that note, listen, Julian, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this amazing insight. I think we did have a great conversation. So uh, I hope to have you back again so we can follow It'll up. It would be a pleasure. <laughs> how things are going. Okay. Have um, thank you. a fantastic time in Singapore. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Okay, this is everything from the Financial Fox today. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation like I did, and uh, I will see you next time.